What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Whiskey and War Stories. We are your hosts, Jaime. I'm Q. What's up, homie? What's up, homie? How we doing? Good, man. I, uh, we had a week off. And, yeah. Uh, kind of missed it. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know? It, it's so funny because I feel like every time we, like, have that week off, it's it's nice, mm. but then... You don't. We don't do it, and we're just like, yeah. ah, you know. I'm just like, ah, wish I was. Well, here, here's the thing of it. So, <clears throat> some of the people that that listen to it repeatedly, like weekly, right? Like my my, I have family members and uh, friends yeah. of my family that listen to it every week, and they know the schedule. Like my <laughs> my uncle, my uncle was like, "Hey, you missed the week." And yeah. like, he's like, did you guys not put it out or what happened? And I'm like, yeah, no, we took a week yeah. off. So yeah. they actually know, like, they expect it's going to come out between a Monday or a Wednesday. Oh, yeah, for sure. Out. For sure. Yeah, that's funny because uh, my cousin Adrian, same thing. I cut his hair last Saturday or something like that. And he's like, hey, man. He's like, uh, he's like, so, so what's happening? He's like, are you guys not recording anymore? I was like, no, why? He's like, because uh, I keep refreshing it on Spotify and no new episode. I was like, oh, no, it does. Yeah, we took a week off. I was like, we're, you know, we're trying to figure things out a little bit, you know, see see where we're going with this. Um, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, still happy to be back yeah. and uh, do another episode for us and all our listeners. Um, but as customary, we always like to dedicate each and every episode to a fallen hero and uh today um it's actually going to be more so fallen heroes um recording this the date is as october 4th um and uh yesterday was actually october 3rd which is the anniversary of uh the battle of mogadishu um those who don't really know the battle of mogadishu that's actually um black hawk down if you've ever seen the movie, um, it's it's inspired by that event that happened, um, and uh, for for this dedication, it's actually to uh, 18 U.S. service members that died during this Battle of Mogadishu. Um, you know, I, I tried looking specifically for uh, for these uh, two Delta snipers that actually um, requested to be inserted into the city, knowing that they're going to be taking. Um, taking on numbers greater than them and so uh i believe they actually uh received the medal of honor for for you know the, that heroic act heroic act um but nonetheless uh there were 18 service members that were killed during the battle um so for that we'd like to dedicate it to them and everyone that was involved in the battle of mogadishu so cheers brothers cheers boys cheers rest in peace cheers. rest in peace cheers cheers, cheers. Oh, that's good. that's good. Oh, that's gonna put put a little pep in my step right there. Yeah. Oh, that is delicious. <laughs> um, but Jaime, what are we drinking then? You know what? So we went with the fan favorite. Um, I don't want to say running your mill, but this is a, a common, definitely a more common bourbon. Yeah. But uh, a favorite, mm-hmm. you know, for for one of your common bourbons, you typically see it at a bar and stuff like that. Um, so we got Buffalo Trace, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. And I've got a little skit back here. I'll read you guys real quick. The ancient paths of countless buffalo led America westward. Legendary explorers, pioneers, and settlers alike followed these trails known as traces 
through rugged wilderness to new lands, new adventures, and new freedom. One such trace, called the Great Buffalo Trace, crossed the Kentucky River at a spot just north of present-day Frankfurt. Early pioneers settled here in 1775, and with plentiful pure limestone water and rich river bottom, loom for growing exceptional grains, distillation quickly followed. With an unparalleled reputation for creating outstanding bourbon whiskey, the Buffalo Trace Distillery today stands as America's oldest distilling sites. Wow. Yeah, and that's uh, a book. It is a book. Yeah, <laughs> it's ninety proof. So you, you know, we can kind of we can kind of taste it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. A little bit more subtle taste. Uh, yeah. What do you What do you got? G- give it to me. Can you do that sip again, real quick? <laughs> that was good. Uh, you like the no? Because I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna inhale some whiskey to the back of my throat, and I'm gonna be coughing like a rookie. <laughs> I can't have that. <laughs> um. No, it's really good. Uh, well, we mix it with the with the old fashioned mix. So mm-hmm. I can't give you a full valid, uh, you know, run of the taste. Um, but this one is. Were they all mixed with old fashioned? Yeah. Yeah, you put a little. little mm-hmm. Tastes good. I uh, this one is actually kind of sweet to me. And again, you know, we mix old fashioned with it. So, um, but I'm getting a lot of vanilla out of this. Yeah. So. Um, you know, unfortunately, I should have tried it. We should actually, from now on, I'll probably just start trying it before putting. There you go, there you go. Some can ASMR. We, is there, is there a? ASMR. Can we start our OnlyFans for that? <laughs> is there such a thing for ASMR? Can people pay for ASMR that? whiskey sipping? Do, right. Do people pay for those things, bro? I mean, why not? People pay pe- for feet pics. Why pe- can't do people pay for some sipping? weird stuff nowadays? They've got food ASMR, <laughs> everything. Yeah, yeah you, you can do it. So actually, um. The reason why I picked up Buffalo Trace is because uh, I feel like a lot of people don't realize um, that there are only a certain number of distilleries in this country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these major distilleries, they actually distill other bourbons. So, for example, one of our favorites, Blanton's, yeah, they're distilled good. out of Buffalo Trace. It's a Buffalo oh, Trace no distillery. Yeah. yeah. That makes Blanton's. Mm-hmm. Pappy Van Winkle, which is a very popular Ooh. one, I'm pretty sure they're Buffalo Trace as well. Yeah, one that we can't afford. but <laughs> Exactly. So so this is my way of affording Pappy Van Winkle or Blanton's. Yeah. It's good. It's, it's like it's yeah. you can't go wrong with Buffalo yeah. Trace. Yeah, because I think it's, it's Buffalo Trace. It's um, Jack. There's like another two big name whiskey mm-hmm. companies that they distill other batches mm-hmm. of bourbon so on and so forth. So I don't know if, if anyone really knew that, but that's a fun fact right there yeah. for you guys. Yeah. So I wish I had brought I brought back you know. I just got back from Pittsburgh and there was a distillery out there called Wiggle. And I I should have brought I, I drank it already, so I couldn't bring it back, but I should have brought that back. It was absolutely <laughs> delicious. What was it what was it? It's called. It's the distillery is called Wiggle. What was a, the, a bourbon? Did called? it make you wiggle after you finished it? <laughs> Pretty That's much, a question. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> or did you wiggle something <laughs> after you? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, it's, it's, what, what, you, what are they doing? I mean, they have all kinds of different. No, but yeah. I'm saying, what what was the name of the whiskey? It, the Wiggle. Wiggle. A wiggle. Wiggle bourbon. Yep. Oh, that's that, yeah. that's the name of the actual distillery. Wiggle, wiggle yeah. whiskey. Yeah. It's, uh that's a play on words. Good. I, I thought I the know. same thing, but you go in there and it's the they all I mean rice and you know different flavored bourbons, cinnamon. Bur- their cinnamon bourbon was actually, if you compare it to like mm. Fireball, yeah, nothing 
even compares to it because Fireball tastes too sweet. This stuff actually tastes yeah. like real. They actually mm. make it with a real cinnamon. It was, it was mm. So if you delicious. if you like that, like I'm not man. I just I've done like the peanut butter, the screwball. Yeah, yeah. There's another they one that's that, like a, yeah. it's called Knucklehead. I think right. It's like a caramel flavored whiskey. Right. Yeah. I mean, call me old fashioned. I just you know, <laughs> I, like, I don't like a good an old fashioned. No pun, no pun intended. Yeah. I like a good. <laughs> Smoky. Actually, I don't like smoky at all. A good oaky. <laughs> a good oaky. Oaky bourbon. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I remember Emily had bought me a bottle of uh, Screwball, the peanut butter one. Yeah, I, I still have one. And dude, I remember trying it. And I'm like, yeah, like no, this <laughs> is this is not it, you know. And and this is no no shame to any of my clients or any of the listeners. Yeah. But hey, if you like it, more power to you. Yeah. I, I can. It's just too sweet. Yeah. Too sweet. Yeah. However, however. Emily and I, we ended up finding out that if you mix Screwball, the peanut butter whiskey, Coke with uh, no, with uh, the strawberry Dr. Pepper, it tastes like uh, chocolate-covered strawberries. And that is a fact. We tried it, mm-hmm. and we're like, it. it's not like identical, but you can definitely yeah. get the hints of chocolate and strawberry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, awesome. it's, it's good. But you it's just you can't drink it alone. Uh, you no. can't drink it by itself. Oh, heck no. No, no I wouldn't cool. drink it like that. Yeah. Weird combination. Screwball and pineapple juice. I don't know what. It's absolutely delicious. That sounds like chorro. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we're, we're never getting sponsored by Knucklehead. <laughs> by Screwball. By Screwball or the Knucklehead. Screwball's going to be like, yeah. F these guys. <laughs> but, uh, but without further ado, Jaime, if you could introduce our guest of this evening. Yeah, so this guest, uh, probably known him the longest out of all of our guests, or close to, and probably one of the closest guests to me mm. um, that has been on here. Um, he is a Army combat veteran. Hua. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, out, I'm outnumbered. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't feel good, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it smells like shit in here. Actually. <laughs> Set up her lip, dog. <laughs> Spraying all over the mic there. Anywho, uh, yeah. So Army combat veteran. Um, he's a Los Angeles County Sheriff deputy pilot uh, in their Aero Bureau flies their helicopter. Um, Rob Gracia. <laughs> Woo! Welcome, welcome, brother. Thank you, welcome, thank you. Rob. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, Rob and I, we met, shit, it was actually in, I think, our late teens. Um, we used to work mall security together. Uh, 25 years ago? Oh, yeah. I they hired teenagers as mall security? Yeah, back then they did, so yeah. yeah. Um, at the time, we kind of clicked because uh, when I first met Rob, we kind of had similar paths. Uh, I was an explorer. Rob was an explorer or... Was you know was still an explorer at the time. Um, his his father was a uh, L.A. County Sheriff's deputy. I think a, a sergeant, a lieutenant at the time, lieutenant if I'm not mistaken. Lieutenant. Yeah, lieutenant. Um, so we kind of had similar interests. We both wanted to be cops. Uh, you know, Rob Rob went to the Army. I went to the Marine Corps. Coincidentally, we were in the service at about the same time. Mm. Um, except, and you know, unfortunately, Rob was in the Army and I was in the Marine Corps. It's just he tested high enough to get into the army. Yeah, I didn't like the taste of crayons. Yeah, <laughs> brother, brother, don't tee them up for us. All right. <laughs> um. So, yeah, and then 
you know, as 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 it would have it, as life would have it, uh, Rob and I ended up being uh, neighbors for a good ten plus years. Oh wow! Um, and li- literally 14. lived fourteen years. Literally lived eight or nine houses down from me. Did you guys know at the time, or? Yeah, uh, I actually. So when I got my house, it was fourteen because that's when my son I was born. That's when I moved in there. So 14 years, but uh, I got my house. I know Jaime was looking, and at the time, he was, you were dealing with the bidding wars at the time. Yeah. Remember, you were yep. having a problem with that? Yep. It was like, everywhere I go, it's a bid, it's a war, or whatever. And um, so I got my house. I told him, I was like, hey, dude, just come down here. It's You put a $5,000 down payment, and you, that property's yours. Yeah. So uh, he's like, sounds like a good deal to me. No bidding war, nothing. So he did that, and... And got his house, and then yeah. we got to customize our own places. You know, and, and who would have thunk that? Were you guys like the city that you? Because I'm sure when you when you guys first bought, mm-hmm. I'm sure that place was vacant, nothing there. It was it was uh, dirt. It was dirt. Yeah, yeah. Dirt and, 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 t- and yeah. to dirt see lots. to see the city growing the way it's growing right now, like it's it's crazy, oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, welcome, welcome. Thank uh, you. first time doing a podcast. This is my first time doing a podcast. I've been asked before, but I never I never did it. But another cherry pop. <laughs> so those are always the best. Uh, always the best. I love the, the movies. <laughs> <laughs> right? They they're always so nervous and scared in the beginning. I know. <laughs> just oh, I'm we're nervous. There you go. There you go. <laughs> That's the spirit. Um, but yeah, if you could just kind of go into your your background, you know where you grew up, um, how you were raised, and kind of well, get into that. I got kind of a long background, so uh, it's give it to us. Hit us. Kind of diverse, but so I grew up in Laverne. Um, Initially, well, Temple City, I should start with seventh grade and moved to Laverne, um, graduated from Bonita High School. And um, from there, that's when I started. Well, actually, I'll go back because when I was in kindergarten, it's funny because I just found actually my girlfriend just found my beautiful girlfriend, Haley, by the way. Uh, up, Haley? She just she actually was going to the garage, cleaning some stuff out, and she found in the garage something from kindergarten and it was a bunch of uh, drawings from all the students of what they want to be when they grow up yeah so as she goes to my page she found it was a picture of a helicopter no way yeah and you know i wrote helicopter pilot on there so when i was a kid i always wanted to uh become a pilot that was my specifically a police helicopter pilot and it it, i don't (laughs) why i watched this movie decided police but you remember the movie firebirds no nicholas cage anyways no. it's before about my time it's about apaches <laughs> <laughs> it was all about it's sean connery nicholas cage it was about apache helicopters mm. so i saw that my, i, I want to fly so uh i ended up going to uh uh once i got out of high school um doing the mall security thing and i did loss prevention jobs here and there just to kind of you know get some sort of experience mm-hmm. um and Funny, funny thing has it that I actually one of my first two departments that I applied for was Laverne Police Department and Pomona. Wow. Both of which I failed. <laughs> <laughs> I failed the uh, the oral. <laughs> wow! See, I, didn't, I never knew that. Like, this is why I love having people on here. Yeah. Right? I never fucking knew that. I failed the fucking oral. D- so okay, so funny story. I go in there and. Not knowing how to do any type of law enforcement or what, and, and uh, so they start asking me questions about the city, and they're like, "Okay, so what do you know about the department?" I'm like, "Oh, 
Fuck, you guys got, I don't know, you guys got a SWAT team, and yeah. you guys got this and that and whatever. I mean, did, knew, did no research whatsoever. Uh, None. Where you're okay. supposed, you know, you're supposed to go in there and do some research on the city. kind Yeah. Of talk. I knew nothing, both times. And so they, I bombed, you know, I bombed yeah. the, the orals. So um, <laughs> all the while, I think I, I might have been, I might have been working at the mall at this time too, by the way. And, um, but I didn't say anything about it to anybody because I felt like a complete dumbass. <laughs> so, so what's what's I mean, as I should, right? You know, so um, you know everything happens for a reason. You yeah. know, so I ended up, uh, you know, doing the whole military thing, and um, you know, Jaime and I we d- we deployed at the same time. Um, we were in country. I think you were in Fallujah at the time, mm-hmm. and I was at Victory, okay, um, in southern Baghdad there. So. Uh, did you know? Did the military thing with the National Guard as well. That's yeah. Was when I why I deployed was when I was with the guard, and then um, and that was we were with the third ID, and I ended up uh, getting in the sheriff's department. Uh, uh, no, let me go back. I was like, you missed something. I go back. Actually, no, <laughs> you missed something. I worked at Southgate Police Department first. So first, I started okay. with the city of Southgate. Great, great department. Nothing bad to say <laughs> about it. Um, I I worked there for about five about five years and three months. And um, I really only left because I, I wanted to fly. And, and Southgate just didn't have what I wanted there. So um, so I made the decision. It was a hard one. You know, the, the biggest thing for me was, you know, and, and I think this is where my military background kind of helped me out in making this decision was when I wanted – what I wanted was more than what they had to offer, but what th- they tried to keep me from going because they're like, well, you know, if you go to the sheriff's department, you're just a number, right? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. when well, I was in the army, so jokes on you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like, t- I mean, we're, I'm, I'm used to that. So <laughs> yeah. what do I care? You know? So, uh, yeah. So I ended up making the jump. And again, there, you know, there was no guarantee. I had a buddy that worked at Aero Bureau where I work now. And uh, his name is Mark DeSisco. Super solid, solid dude. He's retired now. And so Mark Mark was pretty instrumental in, in getting me to uh, make the decision to go over to the sheriff's department. And uh, he ended up, uh, he's a tell me, he's like, hey, you know, come over here. I'll help you get over. I did a ton of ride-alongs with him. So I went over there, made the lateral transition, and um, while I was in the background, I had a shooting. So that kind of helped things up a little bit. Wow. So... Uh, once that all got cleared, I had to wait for the DA to clear, clear us from that. And then once that all got cleared, then we, uh, I was able to lateral over and then, uh, the rest is history from there. Just had to do the jails or patrol and, yeah, you know, uh, ended up finally getting the air. It, there was a little monkey wrench there with the air support thing. So the way it worked when you first got in my department was it was kind of like if you knew people down there, they knew you were a solid dude, mm-hmm. you know. They had vouch for you to get down there. You'd come interview, and they select who they want to come down to the bureau. Well, that changed with coveted testing is what we have now. So with coveted testing, you have to take a test. And, and each specific job, no matter what you do, gangs, detectives, whatever it is that you want to do, SWAT, you have to take a, a – it's a, it's a written – it's a oral interview, and I actually passed that one. Um, <laughs> 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 and so, um, and then uh, a practical application portion of it. So, um, and then once you get all three, they put you in a band. You get ranked, right? So that's what I ended up doing was uh, I 
once I found out about the whole coveted testing thing, I had to re revamp my my approach to how I'm going to get to where I want to go, and um, ended up uh, testing for it, and I ended up scoring number one in the county. Oh wow! So uh, army, yeah, yeah, <laughs> scored number one. Got got into the bureau, uh, but I caught an IA before. <laughs> <laughs> so I got held up a year. <laughs> so I got caught in IA. It was something completely bogus. It was it was it was a nothing. But I think you know about it. Um, but uh, with the whole Chino Hills thing, um, it, it was it was an off duty caper. Nothing I did. It was with my ex wife, and she mm. got into it with the bouncer. And then mm-hmm. I had words with the security guard, and bec- I, I called him a fucking pussy. Is what it boiled down to. <laughs> so good, so, good. So, so uh, no, I. Well, it wasn't him. It was the guys that responded because they were trying to take my wife to jail. So, oh, come on. What, what's up with this? <laughs> my ex-wife, I should say. And uh, anyway, that was my IA. So I got mm. so because I got an IA, they held me up for a year, and then I got slid in my position. So and that's oh, where okay. I'm at. But yeah, I flew patrol. I flew. I was observer for a little while. Um, the observer. I'm not. If you're not familiar with how a police helicopter works, is uh, the observer. You start off as. It's, we call it a tactical flight deputy. Mm-hmm. So what we do on that side of the helicopter, it's left side. So it, we fly what's called a Eurocopter A-Star, right? So it's opposite of an American helicopter. So everything is, you know, the pedals are different. You fly from the right seat. Whereas in a, a 500, which is what Pomona uses, it's the opposite. The pilot's on the left side. So the orbits are different. Okay. So pilot flies in the right seat. Observers on the left, left-hand orbit. So you're you're he's in charge of handling the light of the helicopter, um, keeping an eye on any suspects running. Um, you know, obviously during pursuits, you know we we have to mitigate that with the light. You know, especially it, it really helps out with traffic. You know, so people know what's coming to them. Mm-hmm. We can keep an eye in case of foot bail. Um, he's also coordinating with the ground units. You know, and I think I might have had one with you guys where I was actually calling the pursuit. I was I was actually going to say that, but I'll let you finish. Yeah. So, um, so I'm I'm the one the pilot the observer is the one that's actually coordinating the tactical portion of a pursuit, foot pursuit, um, SWAT operation, uh, containment. You know, we're we're help setting everything up, and they're handling all the police side of things. Mm, okay. Um, and then once you have experience in that, then you can move over to the pilot side of things. You have to get, I think we're requiring four years of experience to go to pilot oh wow doing that yeah so then you gotta take another test yeah i passed that one too <laughs> uh so um so i ended up going to pilot eventually um i flew patrol uh in the a star it's a smaller helicopter um for a few years um i was an fto doing that as well uh training the new observers and um then i ended up going to uh rescue uh, oh, so wow, so nice. currently I fly Air Rescue Five, um, and that's that's with uh, with our we're, it's kind of a two unit operation. So the pilots are staffed by Aero Bureau with the Sheriff's Department. My crew, which are tactical medics or SWAT guys as well, um, they're staffed by SED Special Enforcement Bureau. So we have three SWAT medics in the back, and then you have the two pilots in the front. So I that's what I'm currently assigned to now. And we deal with everything from, um, I mean, all the car accidents in the mountains, which is we're actually based at a cabin behind uh, 
Mount Wilson, if you're familiar with that area, right above Altadena. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So but the next ridge line behind, we have a cabin up there. It's called Barley Flats. And so every day we pick up the crew, we stage up there. It's just five of us. It's usually shit-talking all day long. Yeah. <laughs> or me making a, you know, kind of a ruckus <laughs> there because I'm kind of the loudest one of the crew most of the time anyway. So, um, so we go up there and uh, stage for calls. Um, you know, most of our business is – uh, motorcycle accidents. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people like to go up Highway 39. Right. They like to, you know, race up their, you know, their motorcycles up there, um, or even cars. So we we get a lot of trauma victims um, from from the roads up there. So, but we also get uh, we're we're also responsible for any operations over the water. So all the way out to from from uh, Catalina Island and mm-hmm. also San Clemente. That's all Los Angeles County. Oh wow! So we actually have a station on Catalina Island. So any any dive operations or anything boat operations, that's going to be us. So boat rescues or or diver or divers that die, mm-hmm. you know, in the water, you know, we got to go get them. So wow. um, we got tasked with more of that um, responsibility because the Coast Guard Air Station Los Angeles got moved up north. So we are the quickest response to be able to get to anything over the water before they can actually get down. Mm-hmm. So we we got tasked with a lot of that over the water stuff. So um, like the Conception boat dive, I'm not sure if you guys heard about that one, but there was a boat up in um, Santa Barbara that uh, there was like 36 divers, I think, that burned up inside. Oh, that's the one that caught fire. Oh, the one that caught fire? fire? Okay, yeah, a couple years back, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. We we responded to that. Oh, wow. We actually deployed, so our our medics are also divers, so we actually deployed the divers to it. We had to land on the island, and we dove that boat, and um, we we did, and our guys did a few of the recoveries from, from that boat. Wow. So, so it's kind of a multifaceted, you know, operation that we actually do, um, you know, whether it's boat stuff, whether it's w- water diving, um, any SWAT operations, active shooter, that's going to be us. Wow. Um, yeah, we just had a uh, – it came out as an active shooter, but it was a dude that was just – he shot some tenant. I think she ended up dying, but I actually had to land the helicopter in the middle of um, – it was Santa Monica Boulevard or Hollywood Boulevard right there. I can't remember the cross street, wow. but it was right in the middle of Hollywood. So wow. um, <laughs> we, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Jeez. So um, – You know, what's, <coughs> what's interesting is uh, – you said that is is Rob has actually flown me a few times for like uh, some of our SWAT operations when yeah. I was a scout. Mm-hmm. I would like reach out to Rob and I'm like, "Hey, dude, our pilot's unavailable, and he used to be stationed at Bracket." Mm. Uh, so I would call him up and I'd be like, "Hey, can you take me up for a scout? Do I need to take photos of this house mm-hmm. or whatever?" And he would always like, he was always like, "Yeah, come on down, dude. Let's roll down." So I would <laughs> I would jump in and he would he would fly the bird and I'd be up yeah. there taking pictures and video of whatever house our SWAT team was, you know, cool. was scheduled to hit. Yeah. So cool. uh, he was always um, Johnny on the spot with that. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, we try to you know for especially for my friends, you know, just you know try to make yourself available to help them yeah. out, you know, because. Yeah. You know, that's one thing I do. The one thing I do miss about, you know, I love flying. I love doing what I do. I, I, I would argue it's the best job in the county or in law enforcement. But I do miss working the streets. You know, that was yeah. a lot of fun. But um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, we we're a multifaceted uh, style unit uh, in Air 5. We get um, we get Navy SEALs that come down with us and do fly alongs all the time. SEAL Team 3 has come up a few times. Nice. Um, all the um, a lot of the PJs come up with us. 
Um, so we get all the top, the tier one guys that will come on ride alongs mm-hmm. just to get real world experience. And it's usually they're, they're medics that yeah. will come up, yeah. uh, whether it's from the, the SEAL team or the PJs. Um, and they're all tier one dudes. And yeah, they come up with like solid, solid guys. I mean, yeah. some of the most humble dudes, I mean, you wouldn't even know talking to them that they're even oh, SEAL. Oh yeah, or for sure. Even just, just, this is how they are, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they come ride with us all the time. So, uh, just to get some hands on, you know, cause you know, the only time you're going to get hands on experience is in wartime, right? Yeah. you know, yeah. so, or training, you know, they have a lot mm-hmm. of courses that we, they send the PJs to, even our guys go to it, you know, where they, you know, they're, they're sticking a pig or what, right. what have you, you know? So at least with us, they're going to get real hands on experience with guys that are tactical dudes as well. So if they get a SWAT call out, those dudes will go with them to the SWAT call out, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, and our guys are always getting called to that. Nice. So, <clears throat> you obviously have a really diverse background, uh, Rob, um, which is why we were excited to have you on here. Uh, so, I want to talk about two different things first. Um, the first, I want to talk about uh, your military experience and then um, have that kind of segue into, like, law enforcement. So, we were both in country about the same time. Um, we were there for... Operation Iraqi Freedom, mm-hmm. OIF, OIF-1, actually, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob, talk about any challenges that you faced or any stressors that you faced to include stuff that maybe have morphed into post-traumatic stress from your time in the military that you dealt with and how you dealt with it, or if you're still dealing it with it in some way, shape, or form? I think... I, I would attribute it to it as more like... And maybe you can relate. I mean, I, I, the way I relate to it is, you know, working in like a jail environment, right? Yeah. When you're in country, you're... Every time you leave a fob, right, you're, you're looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. When are we, we going to get hit? When's our next... When's our next IED going to go off? Because we don't, it's not, a, it's not conventional warfare, you know. And, and being an infantryman, you know, most of our jobs was either QRF stuff, convoy operations, you know, court on search, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So every time you left the wire, you, it, it, it's, you're not fighting a conventional soldier. You're, you're, you're fighting people in plain clothes that are mm-hmm. using civilians for, you know, f- as cover, you mm-hmm. know, kind of thing. So you don't know who's who. So as we're driving down any of the MSRs out there, when are we going to get hit? Mm-hmm. And I think, I- and I attribute that like like working the jails, like when am I going to get stuck from behind, you know, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's what weighs on a lot of people. You know, I mean, gunfights are gunfights, right? You know, we've all probably been in gunfights here, right? So th- those are stressors in and of itself, but I think what I think most guys w- worried about was when when are we going to get hit? Yeah, the unknown. Not the unknown. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, is is today going to be my day? Right. Or am I going to go home with missing a leg, mm-hmm. missing an arm, you know, maimed some way? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, one, those were some of the stressors. That would probably be one of the most stressors that I could probably say that that affected me the most Mm -hmm. how i deal with it today i I don't know everybody's different Uh, i mean i don't really think of it i I just like i don't know it's 
I don't know how I deal with it today. I just, I just, I guess I just block it out. So you're talking about always having the, which is kind of like the hypervigilance, right? You're, you're, sure. you're always thinking like, hey, when's it going to happen? You're always right. on like super high alert, which I think, you know, most cops ex- have that. They, they go through yeah. their whole careers like being super hypervigilant like that. Um, how has that impacted your mental health? Like, where were you at when you were in the military, when you got out of the military, and where are you at today? Has it like... I think, I think w- we were young, you know, back then, right? Yeah, I mean, we were, we were young. So we're, when I got back, I think I found myself... I, 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 could, I didn't know why. But I found myself angry. But there's there's reasons why. But th- you know, there uh, you, you transitioning into s- into the civilian life is is not an easy transition, right? Mm-hmm. And when you come back, there there was multiple reasons why. Me personally, because I think my story is a little bit different. When I was g- when I was gone, my my brother was killed. Oh wow! So I had a different sense of anger as to. As to why I was, I was, I felt that way. Yeah. Why him and not me, you know, kind of thing. So I have my brother Joshua. Um, he was, uh, he he was at home. He was 16 years old at the time, and he was with a friend, and he was uh, he was killed in a car accident. Mm-hmm. So um, that was one of the main reasons why I ended up coming home, was because of that. So dealing with the stresses of that, and then coming home and basically seeing your you know your your brother on his on his deathbed you know because uh, he was he was airlifted transported to county usc and so when i got home i mean i was home pretty quick red cross got him that mm-hmm. was home very very fast um he was he was on uh the you know uh, on the machines ventilators and stuff and it was deemed that he was he was brain dead basically mm-hmm. so uh I was uh, the decision was left to me because uh, they asked my my dad, "What do you want to do?" He said, I, "I I I don't know. I, he he couldn't make that yeah. that that decision." Uh, so they asked my mom, "You know what what do you you know what are you gonna do?" Same thing. My sister because she's the next oldest, and then it came to me. Nobody can make a decision as to wh- how they wanted to to proceed with this. So here I am, just getting back having to make a decision about my younger brother, seeing him on his, on his deathbed there. And, um, so I, I decided that they should pull the plug. So for me, that was, uh, probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make in my life. Oh yeah. To to this day, to this day. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, and I, I told the staff, I was like, I'm not leaving this room until it's, it's, he's, he's, you know, he's gone. Yeah. Um, Carter was with me when, when that happened, when mm. they pulled the plug. So, and then, you know, watching your brother, you know, watching, uh, you know, the heart monitor, you know, it's, I'm sitting there staring at that and, you know, it's, you see it just, you know, the beeping, the beeping, and then his, his heart rate increases and increases and increases. And I'm like, he's coming back. He's, he's going to make it. And then it decreases, and that's just the oxygen being starved from his body, you know. And uh, y- you know, looking at it from a medical point of view now, and and you know, so to answer, you're kind of diverting a little bit from the question, but but it all kind of wraps into one. Is uh, I came back just defeated, you know, um, 
because it's like, here I am. I'm an infantryman in country doing your thing. Your 16-year-old brother's at home, and he's killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. Yes. You know, what, what, do you, what do you do? You yeah. know what I mean? So, so I think that's why um, I was super angry when I came back. And, um, yeah. So, and this, is, this isn't to, to downplay that. And one, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss. Yeah. Um, I can't even imagine making that decision or a decision like that. Um, and again, not to downplay, but your story actually resonates with me very, very closely because, mm-hmm. um, I actually came back on a Red Cross mm-hmm. notice as well. Um, but it was my grandpa. Right. Um, he ended up passing away. We only had about a month, a month and a half left in country. Mm-hmm. And so when he passed away, um, my parents, they decided to call, get the Red Cross in. And so, um, I remember coming back and same thing. It's just, it's so fast. I think, I think within 24 hours, right. I was already, you know, practically to LAX pretty it's much fast, but the longest flight of your yeah. fucking yeah. life and exhausting, <laughs> oh, you know, yeah. because I, I don't, you know, people talk about jet lag and, and whatnot, but I'm, I'm like, dude, try to go like several time zones within, you know, 24 hours. Sure. Your jet lag is crazy. Right. But anywho, um, I remember for me, I, I came back and, you know, I wasn't so much angry because obviously the situation is completely different. Right. Um, I came back very sad because um, where you see the traditional, you know, homecoming, you know, military homecoming where everyone's excited, they're happy to come home, they're seeing their loved ones. Mm-hmm. We're coming back to grief, to sure. sorrow, you know, and... and mm-hmm. We're not given that time to be like, oh, my gosh, we're finally home because home is kind of destroyed at that moment. Sure. And you don't have that that kind of transition going from the high stress, um, traumatic experiences to, you know, normalcy. You just go from high stress to a different type of high stress. It's like coming to a stop. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, man, that, that's, that's, yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I could definitely feel for you cause, um, yeah, it, it, it sucked. It yeah. Sucked oh yeah. Coming home Absolutely. Like and then, you know, you go back and you got army chaplains, you know, they're trying to talk to you, but see the way they do things is not basically, it's not, I mean, I'm not a religious, super religious guy. I mean, I believe in everything, but you know, they, they try to, mo- they're, they're, they're trying to give you uh, a religious point of view, but from the military, you know, like, right. you know, they're like, well, you're a soldier first, you know, kind of <laughs> thing. And it's like, all right, dude, <laughs> I just had a family, family member pass away. Yeah, like, it is come like, on, man. It's like, man, it was, so that was, that was, I think I was more pissed off at that. Than anything else. And, and that's actually, that kind of brings up a, a point right there with, with maybe military folk is, uh, is the lack of empathy that is shown and e- even even yeah. from like the chaplain or, or anything, it, it's kind of like, hey, come on, soldier, you know, like, yeah, toughen up, lace up your boots, and, and you know, keep they're trucking. Desensitized, sure, yeah, yeah, desensitized. They're, they're just a counselor, if you will, a religious counselor to try to get you back in your boots and and you know on the front lines again. That's yeah. that's the way I see it, you know, and uh, and I'm not uh, nothing bad against the army or the, or the or chaplains, but sometimes you feel that way, and that's. Going back to, you're just a number. Mm-hmm. That's all you are is a number, you know? So um, so that was kind of my experience with that. So, 
Um, Rob, you said I don't mean to interrupt you, but you said two really interesting things. That I kind of want to I want to make sure we don't like gloss over this because this is a common trend in all of our episodes so far is the survivor's guilt. You said you had survivor's guilt and you almost yes. had a double dose of it. Yeah, because you were in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not putting words in your mouth, but, you know, being in a combat environment, you know, typically one of the symptoms is survivor's guilt, right, when you come back. Sure. I certainly felt that. And it's almost like you got it twice, right? Because you had, you were you were dealing with whatever you were dealing with, with in, in Iraq, mm-hmm. right? You came back and you're dealing, you said you, you had survivor's guilt from your brother. So, so it's like, you almost get like a double dose of that. How did you, and you said you were angry, like what did you do to remedy that or to combat that anger or that survivor's guilt? Like what techniques did you do or did you just, did it just, did you just move on with time? Like how did you? I think, I think time definitely heals a lot of things, you know. Nothing's going to happen overnight. What I did was just live life, you know, to the fullest, mm-hmm. you know, um, travel, um, have try, try to keep a positive attitude, you know. I think a lot of the time, I mean, I didn't talk about it with people because I, I'm not much of a, you know, wasn't of a talker of how, you know, how I felt about yeah. certain things, you know. I, I think guys generally aren't right. that much, but but I just try to keep a positive attitude instead of using it as a as a something to drag me down. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I know this sounds stupid, but maybe, maybe even cliche. But I took that, my brother's passing, and used it as, as a positive. Like, okay, he's, he's watching over me, so I can't let him down, yeah. right? So, and that's what I did, you know, is everything I did was he's watching. I got to make sure I do the right thing. I got to do, you know, or even, you know, when I, you know, when I became a policeman, you know, at Southgate. You know, every pursuit I got into, every, you know, fight, it was always, hey, I, I can honestly say every time something stressful happened, I can say, I, I w- I'd always to myself would say, hey, bro, thanks for looking out for me kind of thing. But that's what I would do. I'd turn it into a positive. You know, the same thing happened with, uh, you know, you know uh, there's some more stuff later on down the road that, you know, I'm sure we'll end up getting to, but <laughs> I had to deal with, you know, with uh, other family members. But, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, I would just say I kind of use that as my my positive way to kind of get through it. Me personally, yeah. Because um, I didn't want him, you know, thinking that I was a failure, you know, or or guilty for anything kind of thing. So, um, so I just try to u- use his passing as as a positive thing um, to to get over my anger and everything else. Because I didn't want to be looked at as you know by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being his older brother, you know, and he yeah. can see me now, you know, everything I do. So, man, uh, kudos to you because so many people, they they get to that point, right? Their survivor's guilty anger point, and they they can never, and I don't, I'm going to careful how I say this. It's not that they can never, maybe they don't have the tools, they don't have the wherewithal, they don't know how to get to that point, right, where they're like, how to make something positive into that, sure. right? And do we know, like, there's veterans that go their whole lives, like, sure. never crossing that boundary, right, of, like, hey, how can I make this into a positive thing? Well, I mean, and, and let me ask you guys, and kind of what you're, you're touching on, Jaime, do you think 
do you think that a lot of veterans hold on to that or process it in a in a negative way because they feel like if they turn it into a positive or try to move forward from it they're losing it they're losing it yeah you know um but i also think that that just speaks you know volumes on your mental fortitude rob yeah i think uh, you know everybody's different you know everybody's 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 mental state their mental fortitude or their or their inner strength if you will is is different you know it, it really is um you know some guys and and are, it just it, it it breaks them and i know i know i have friends i have friends that have that have committed suicide. I've mm-hmm. had, you know, friends that are just, they're not doing well, you know, and we check on them all the time, right? <coughs> but everybody handles things differently. I handle things differently. Jaime handles everything differently. And some guys, you know, and I'm not saying there's no guy that is, you know, or gal that is stronger than the other. It's just we have different ways of processing things. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm no psychiatrist or whatever, but... You know, some people do handle things better than others, and some people turn to drugs, and some people turn to violence, and you know, um, it just it just w- you you have to decide your own path. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I was having a conversation with uh, with a good buddy of mine, um, and uh, uh, I'll give him a quick little shout out, Carlos. Um, so when um, when the withdrawal happened in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember he was asking me, like, you know, how, how things are going, how I was taking it, so on and so forth. Well, one day he had come over, and he was kind of complaining about work and, you know, his week, so on and so forth. And he kind of stopped himself, and he's like, oh, he's like, no, he's like, I shouldn't be complaining around you because, you know, what what you've gone through is, is way worse than what I've ever, you know, you're a bad day for you on deployment is, you know. Yeah. You know, and so I ended up telling him, I'm like, well... I was like, no, dude. I was like, how you feel, you know, what you're going through. I was like, it's sure. valid. Absolutely. It's valid. I was like, because we're all, like you said, we're all individuals. We all um, process things differently, and we all have different capacity when it comes to, you know, our mental fortitude or you know, spiritual fortitude, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, you know, some people they can deal with a lot, and they're never really touching that that cap, that ceiling. Whereas someone could go through something minor and, you know, sure. to them, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, my cup tipped over. You know, I right. can't I can't handle it anymore. And so I, I think that, you know, uh, that goes into what you were saying that, yeah, it's it's everyone handles things differently. And I think as far as us veterans, you know, first responders, it's important for us to understand that even if someone didn't see combat or, or, or anything like that, um it's our job to still make them feel like they're being heard. Sure. You know, and, yeah. and what they're going Absolutely. through mentally is just as important as what we are going through mentally. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, like I said, you know, you, you hit it on the button, you know, it's, you know, somebody could have just lost their favorite, whatever toy, right. item, whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know, or, or something dear to them. And that could be a, a bad day for them. Mm-hmm. And now I'm not saying that's, you know, compared to anything that the veterans deal with but it's it's just that you have to hear what that person is dealing with because it's you know t- it's important to them yeah you know, and, you know oh what I mean? yeah and, and it could yeah. be just as devastating mm-hmm. in, a, in a different way yeah so um so yeah it, it, you know it, everybody handles things differently and in, it's it's funny because i feel like it's before we we understand that you know, to let people process their own emotions or what they're going through on their own or, or making sure that they're feeling validated. Um, I remember, you know, first getting back from deployment, things like that. 
someone complains about anything small, I'm like, really? You're complaining about this? You know, <laughs> I never gave him. Yeah, I never gave him the space or the opportunity to be like, sure. okay, well, it makes sense. You know, things like that. And and I think just, you know, us as human beings, you know, it's just at the end of the day, we just kind of want to make sure that someone's there and they are willing to validate what we're going through. And I think that I mean, I. I when I, you know, first come back from anything, it's I, I, I would agree I had that same attitude initially of just like, yeah, you, you know, you don't, whatever, dude, right. like, fuck off. But, but, <laughs> but, in hindsight, just dealing with things I've dealt with now, it's like, you, you got it, you know, er, like everybody processes things differently, and I would, you know, to this day, I never, you know, now and being older, wiser, you know, I don't and discount anything that anybody is going through because people have killed themselves for less. Oh, hundred percent. You know, yeah, they, they really have. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, if somebody's dealing with something, you know, you just, sometimes they just want to be heard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. But, um, uh, and I, you know, I th- it's subjective too, right? Like what, what, what one person believes and, you know, is different from every oh, yeah. person emotionally, mentally, yeah. physiologically, right? It's all, yeah. It's, it's different from person to person. And, and, you know, one of the things I've learned, um, and this is a big one through, through, through therapy and stuff, is um, it's not always about me. <laughs> right? Say, say that one more time. It's not always about me. Oh, okay. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, you know, a piece of humble pie. Right. Oh, no, 100%. Sure. piece yeah. of humble pie. Yeah, absolutely, oh, 100%, man. 100%, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think when we... When we look at that, right, like, oh, and I've, I've never been the person the person to say this, um, but I know that it exists, it is, you know, people compare their experiences, right? Like, oh, I've done this, this, and this, and you're complaining about this. Well, yeah, but it's not about, it's not always about you, right? Right? Your bad day may, may not be in your head equivalent, to, but that's their bad day, yeah, like, right? right? Like, they're entitled to, exactly. to, to how they feel. So, and, and to... What you're saying is like kind of I got so much going on in my head right now because it's like so I know at least for me I ended up you know I joined the military I served my country Mm. because I wanted to do something something bigger than myself something bigger than me however when I did that one thing bigger than me like you know going to Afghanistan I felt so entitled afterwards Mm -hmm. then I turned it to me then I was like oh well you know you're dealing with this no but I dealt with this and it's like we almost like flip-flop we flip-flop it once we get that almost like the the invincible complex because we saw war we you know went through combat Mm -hmm. and now we feel you know like we're invincible yeah and at that point it's like well i'm better than you because i saw or i did x y and z yeah um but we lose sight of the fact that we did something that was supposed to be greater than me and it's weird, and I don't know how with you, but for me, it just one day it clicks. It's like, what am I doing? You know, like, wha- why Why do I have that attitude? You know, oh, yeah. Thing. Yeah. You know, and, and and I think that's where today, you know, even doing what I do, I've got, you know, I, I've got some really close buddies of mine that work Century, you know, Century Station. Uh, it just told me a few weeks ago, it's like, Rob, you know, you know, I've worked with you on the streets and whatnot, and you haven't changed one bit from going from 
street cop to flying air rescue. He's like, you, you, you don't act any different. You know, you don't, you know, because there's, we all, we all know those guys. You know, they mm-hmm. get to a position, they're like, oh, you know, this is what I do. You know, I'm better than everybody else. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm no better than anybody else. You know, I just, it's a job, you know. Yeah. And, and what I did, whether it's in the military or it's what I do now, it's a job. Yeah. You know, I'm no better than you. I'm no better than, than Jaime. You know, yeah. it's just, just what we do, you know. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you just got to humble yourself. I think that's the best way to live. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a, a big one for me and, and you know, I'm, I remind myself every, every single day is, uh, you know, remember to serve others before myself because as long as I'm doing that, you know, at least, you know, I'm a pretty spiritual guy. My cup will be full. Sure. After absolutely. a day of absolutely. making sure that I serve others. You a- know? Absolutely. And you, you really feel good about yourself. And I think that's when, going back to Jaime's original question of what do you do, you know, part of that was, part of that process for me was humbling myself and becoming that better person to, you know, to to serve other people because that made me feel better as a person. I, th- I think you just kind of unlocked something that, that yeah. we haven't really, really touched on in any of the episodes where, you know, because with some of the guests that we've had on, you know, we've talked about therapy a lot, mm-hmm. different types of therapies, whether mm-hmm. it's actually seeking, you know, a therapist, speaking to them. We've had guests that, that say the gym has been therapy for them. Um, the Bible. Yeah. People, you know, saying that, that God and praying was therapy for them as well. Um, but I think you're the first person to, to say, you know, humbling yourself and, and trying to put others first. Yes. Or serving mm-hmm. for others before I think that's also I think that's huge right there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I tell you, that's it. Really, that it, it just makes you feel better as a as a person. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? Um, you know, uh, do you take a load on? Sure. You know, I mean, you got a lot of you know. Some, but sometimes I, <laughs> I sometimes I take too much on mm-hmm. to you know uh, to do things for 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 people or but just giving what I do now. It's I, I just I love it. You know and. And um, but but definitely putting other people before yourself for me is what really helped a lot. And just humbling yourself because um, coming back with that attitude, you know, I'm guilty of it myself. But mm-hmm. coming back with that attitude gets you nowhere. Oh, yeah. You know, it really does. And it just it's just because you, you that's where you you lock everybody else out. You almost isolate yourself because oh, no, I'm better than you. Yeah, you know, I, I did this. I'm better than you. No. Well, it's like, you know, you. Having that kind of attitude, you climb to the top and you look down and you see everyone that you stepped on to get to that point. And, and ultimately, you, yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, mentally, emotionally, you know, how is that really going to make you feel? You know, because you'll exactly. just be empty. Yeah. You, you might be at the top, but you'll be empty at the and top. And that leads to depression. And mm-hmm. that leads to, you know, other things, you know, whereas, you know, whether it's drugs or, or whatever it is to deal with the emptiness and mm-hmm. and. And you can't live like that, you know what I mean. So, yeah. so that's what I did to try to remedy um, stuff. And, and mind you, there's been bumps on the road. I mean, I've had to, you know, I've had other incidents. I know Jaime's aware of them. I'm sure we'll touch on those. But you know, where there's been more loss, you know, yeah. where I've had to I've had to confront. And you know, and you just uh, same thing with those. Just mm-hmm. turn them into a. You try to use that as a positive kind of thing. So. Moving into the law enforcement career, you talked about, you know, learning to humble yourself and and sort of service to others. 
um, you've learned that through the years and, and how that sustains you and helps you, you know, with your mental well-being. Um, how does that look with your career in law enforcement? I know that you, that you have a son. I know that you're, that you're, you're a, um, air rescue basically. Right. So most of the time I feel like as air rescue, you're going to tragedies. Like, sure. How, how does that, as a father, as like someone that's, that's, that has humbled yourself, has that had any effect on you? Like the, the talk about, you know, how, how you've dealt with a lot of the, the tragedies and the traumas. And you said you even been in the OIS before you left Southgate. Like how has that affected you as a police officer? You know, my job day on daily where I'm at now is, 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 is carnage on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some, there's some calls that will affect you more than others. You know, yeah. kids, uh, you know, being a father, you know, yeah. um, you know, it, uh, there was an incident where there's a guy was, was, uh, driving his, uh, it was a Porsche and uh, we got, as soon as we landed on scene, we all, we all got out and, uh, dad and son are dead. Oh, it's terrible. You know, and he was just taking them out for a joyride. So you see those kinds of things, but, for me, as far as humbling myself, it, it, you know, I get to help people every day. Mm-hmm. Every day, I get to go, I get to, you know, peop- in people that are in their worst time of their lives, I get to help them. Yeah. And, and get them out, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, you know, Trying to stay humble, you know, to 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 deal with all that. I mean, it, I I don't I keep work at work and I keep, you know, I, I I turn it off when I when I get home. Yeah. You know, I can't. You know, because, you know, my son asks me all the time. Right now, he's a he's a sheriff's explorer. You know, for Riverside County Sheriff's, and he always, it's funny because he you know he's, <laughs> I, I think by him. Coming to me, this was about three or four months this is actually in june you know he came to me and he was like hey dad you know he asked me about being a cop and i was like why do you want to you know why you know why you know it's just what do you why do you want to be a cop and, and you know and, and my dad was a cop and i looked yeah. up to him and you know whatever and i remember him one time where you know my uncle's funeral but i was in my class a's and he goes dad he's like he's just staring at me in my class a's and he's like you look cool. <laughs> cool uniform. Yeah. He's yeah. like, you know, and, and it, I remember seeing my dad like that. Yeah. But, but um, that's a hard question to answer, Jaime, as far as how do, how do I deal with it? Is, I mean, uh, it's, I, I just try to take all the positive that comes out of seeing people. And I've, I've gotten backstories of, of people have reached out to me on Instagram, you know, before, you know, uh, of, of rescues that I've done. Mm-hmm. Somehow, because you know my first and last names on my on my uh, on my on my flight wing patch, and so uh, or they reached out somehow found me, and um, hearing them just say thank you, uh, you know even though it's not needed, yeah, you know um, that that's w- what helps me and just but me knowing I I know what we're doing good you know, um, and that's that's kind of what helps me deal with um, you know the stuff at home if you will. Um, you said that you learn that you that you you're able to turn it on and turn it off. Mm. Now, was that through trial and error? Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, so this did just come naturally then? Huh? It did not come naturally. No, because you know, it's even when you're driving home, it, it, 
it's hard to turn off being a cop when you go home. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you know. <laughs> I've, se- I've seen yeah. your house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the holes in your walls. <laughs> um, you know, but but um, through trial and error, you know, yeah. um, it, it's just it took time. It, it, it didn't happen overnight. And and it's it's a lot of different things. It's it's continuing to try to humble yourself. Um, also knowing that I can be up your ass if you don't <laughs> turn it off when you yeah. go home, kind of thing. <laughs> so actually, we we had we had told uh, Jaime about uh, what I who was it Hutch when we had Hutch on, and we're talking about driving home with in silence. I think it was Hutch. Yeah. So. So we're we're telling him that uh, that you know I, I'm a big uh, a big believer in, in driving home um, with like no music on, mm. nothing on, just complete silence, you in right. the road, just because it helps me kind of process my day before I get home. Right. You know, it lets me kind of run throughout the entire day, what happened, you know, what I could do better, you know, what sure. I could do better tomorrow, things mm. like that. So when I get home. I can go into my driveway and immediately go inside. Like, I don't want to be one of those fathers or husbands that gets home and sits in the driveway for an extra 30 minutes, 45 minutes, mm. um, just because they're still like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. home kind of thing. You know, when, sure. I'm, when I'm home, totally. like, I'm home with my family. Right. Yeah. And so that's something that, that we told Jaime about because when we first mes- mentioned it, he's like, oh, my gosh, what? And yeah. so started telling him to start trying in. I don't know if he does it anymore or what, but – you know, and, and to touch on the family thing, you know, it, having a family that understands what you do is important. It really is, you know. Yeah. And, and with my first marriage, that wasn't really the case all the time, you yeah. know. Um, you know, she wasn't in law enforcement. She wasn't, you know, uh, anything, EMS, nothing. And so she didn't understand what we do. So so sometimes it was hard to deal with that. Whereas in my relationship now, my, you know, she, she's a, she works in EMS, you know. She works at a hospital. So let me ask you this, though, because I feel like a lot of us are at fault for this, where Mm -hmm. with your first uh, with your with your first marriage, um, you know, you said that she wasn't in anything like that. And, and, you know, she didn't get it. Now, did you speak up about that and say, hey, like, I need this. I need that, because at least in my sense, um, I didn't talk about that. I didn't say, hey, when I come home, I, I need this. Sure. You know, I, I would go home expecting for her, uh, expecting you know for her to greet me or treat me a certain way, without even telling her how I want her to be treated. Sure, you know, and I think that a lot of us are at fault for that. Where it's like we want to be treated a certain way, we want to mm-hmm. process our emotions a certain way, right. yet we're not telling our significant others, "Hey, this is what I need from you to help me decompress even more." Yeah. Right. And and I think with that, it's to answer your question, did I say yes, I did. And and, and not at first. At first, I just kind of dealt with it. Mm-hmm. And then it became a point where I just said, hey, when I come home, just give me 15 minutes is all I want. <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> just give me 15 minutes of I just tell myself <laughs> to just unwind put my clothes away. I don't want to come home and say, hey, I need you to do this, 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 and this, and this, you know? I just want to come home and just brain dump, you know? Like, not yeah. <laughs> take a dump, brain dump, yeah. and just fucking, yeah. you know, Let and then... sit in the shitter for 30 minutes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and just, just, 
I, you know, I, can I take a shit at least? You know, when I haven't I get taken home. a solid poo today. <laughs> God, you know, and and you know, um, that's and I think that's important. It really mm-hmm. is for having a family that understands that stuff and and can just give you that time when you get home. You know, hey babe, how's how was your day? Mm-hmm. You get, you know. And, and I didn't want to, you know, I don't ever come home. And I, to this day, you know, I don't talk to it about my son. But my, you know, my current girlfriend, you know, when I come home, she asks how your day is. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like with her, I can talk about it because she works in the same field. Like she, she worked on an ambulance for, you know, for eight years, you know, mm-hmm. and she, you know, she works in the hospital in the, in the ER now. So. The stuff that I see and deal with is nothing that she hasn't. So I can actually go home when she asks about my day. She listens and understands, you know, you know, yeah. kind of thing, if that makes sense. It, it, it makes perfect sense. Let me ask you this. So a lot of people that, that listen, um, they, they that are in relationships, not every one of them are fortunate to have that combo, right? Sure. Somebody that works that's also a first responder. Right. A lot of them have significant others wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, that um, are in completely separate fields. Right. Um, so let me get nitty-gritty with you. Uh, did you make mistakes that, that it, in retrospect, looking back, what could you have changed? And what it, like what would you tell other people in that position, like, hey, that are still in the relationships, like, listen, it's – do you know th- this is some advice that I would give you? You know, it, be cognizant of this, or you know, do this, communicate, or like what? What would you say were, was some of the things that you fucked up on, really? Uh, if I, you did, not saying that you did. But. No, I, I would say the biggest thing is, is communication. Really, um, there, there, there were times where I would just shut down and be like, you know, and we don't. If you don't tell how you feel. Mm-hmm. But the other thing with communication is the other person has to be willing to listen, mm-hmm. and that's where the down, that's where the the fallback was. Yeah. You know, when I if you try to communicate with somebody and they sh- and they're just not listening and they don't they're they're just set in their ways or they downplay what you do for a living, you know, which what's happened to me, you know, and then then you're gonna go nowhere. It's just gonna you're just gonna have more problems, more problems, more problems, mm-hmm. you know. And, they, and when they're not humble and they make it about themselves. You know, and I don't want to trash talk any, you know, my ex-relationship, you know, because, but, but that's, that was part of the problem. And that there's yeah. a reason why mm-hmm. a, d- a divorce took place. Yeah. And, and I agree with you in that sense. Um, one of the big ones for me in, in my divorce, uh, was, uh, was like one upping, you oh, know, yeah. I, I, I would come home and whether it was a long day or whatever, um, you know, she would always find a way to be like, oh, well, you know, well, I, my day was this and my, and I'm just like, I'm just trying to tell you that I had a bad day. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't I don't need you to, you know, tell me that your day was worse, whether it was worse or not. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. like just just be heard. So. Right. And yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I and I'm I'm along those lines, but a little bit different, um, you know, where I screwed up on was that nothing ever seemed as important as my day. Right. Mm. Like, seriously. Right. Like nothing. And I look back now. um. And I did that so much. Right. I, I like I did that so much. Like I, you know, uh, I would hear a story about something that happened in, in their day and their life. And I was like, well, you weren't you didn't do this or you didn't do this sure. or you weren't, you know. Well, then let me ask you this. Yeah. Why? Why do you think that was the case? 
Um, because I, I mean, I always felt like what what I what I did was just like my day was, you know, was more important or. Or I would say stuff like, you know, I would relate back to the military experience, and and again, dude, like I said, it was it's like it's not always about me. Yeah, and, and I was gonna say that I think it, it, it comes back around. Dude, it's to, it's not yeah. always about me, dude. And and just because you don't wear a badge, or just because you weren't in a combat setting, or you weren't in the service, it doesn't mean, dude. And this is my one of my biggest fucking mistakes. It doesn't mean that other people's days and lives and events are insignificant mm-hmm. and i did that i'm i'm like fucking guilty of it yeah. like guilty as charged of it right their day was so, you know they went to work and somebody got an argument with them and like that was their significant thing for the day right and to them that's important right and i just was completely like like yeah. i don't care because so- it's not that important it's my day yeah, it, and and I get where you're, where you're coming from because yeah. I you know I used to kind of have that same mentality, but um, you know for example Emily, my wife now, mm. um, you know she she has a she has a fairly easy job for the most part. You know she yeah. gets to work from home. Granted, um, my son is with her majority of the time, so yeah. him alone that's that's her hard part of the job yeah, is right. dealing with my son. But um, but her her job itself um, you know pretty easy, but um. I, I remind myself that that if it's important to her, it's important to me. Yes. You know, and, and even if it's something insignificant, whether, you know, her work was slow or there's someone from her team that's bothering her, it's important to her, mm. so it's important to me. Yeah. And I think just making sure that she's validated in that sense and, and letting her know that, hey, you know, I'm treating this right. just as important as, as you would want to treat it. You know, and it, it comes back around. And you know? it, all, it all boils down to just humbling yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and not, you know, and trying to respect somebody. And, and it has to go both ways in a relationship. Yes. You know, it really yeah. does. You know, uh, in, in, a, in you know, like Jaime's situation, you know, it's got, you know, I have to be able to humble myself, but that other person has to as well. And they have to understand yeah. the kind of day we're going through, you know, kind of thing. Meet, so me, well, meet me halfway. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I always say, it's uh, be humble or be humbled. You know? Yeah, exactly. You know, and. I think that's key key in the relationship world is, is you know it being in our field and being you know whether it's a veteran whether you're in law enforcement is, is having that open line of communication and understanding you know whether whether that person's in law enforcement or not mm-hmm. you know they have to understand you know um, what you know kind of day we might had but at the same time we got to humble ourselves yeah. no matter what they do. I don't care if they're working from home you know they might have had a bad day because they dealt with a shitty customer mm-hmm. or or you know one of their you know something got screwed up on the computer but yeah. that's their bad day you know yeah. so sometimes they just want to be heard and that's some of the things that I think I've learned along the way is listening more yeah, yeah. oh yeah being being a male <laughs> they just want to be heard. Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> they, <Yeah>. If you <laughs> listen, yeah, you're gonna have a good day. Yeah, <laughs> you're really gonna have a good day. Yeah, you know, isn't that so weird? How you know, first responders, but cops. I would say I would specifically police officers that we get paid to be good communicators, <laughs> right? Like that is stressed, especially today. Ooh. Sure, especially today, we get paid. And we get paid pretty good money. I'm not going to lie. We yeah. get paid pretty good money to be good communicators. Yeah, you go home? <laughs> yeah, we go home. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> God damn. It's like, like you lose never, your mind when you go home. Yeah, you like, go crazy. Right? Maybe, maybe because you don't get paid to go home and <laughs> be a communicator. <laughs> yeah, you just want to turn that shit off. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but he's right. Yeah, I mean, we get paid for that stuff, and and we've all that. We've all, you know, me included. We've all, you know, you go home and just just shut down, and and I think probably because we do have to communicate and fix everybody else's problems when you're at work. You go home and you're like. I don't yeah, want to I don't want to do it. it. I don't want to do it. Like, yeah. That makes sense. My my thing is like is is being a barber. Um, I don't. The nice thing is is I don't have to necessarily fix anyone's problem. So you know I don't have to right. deal with that. But um, you know I have to listen. Sure. To that, and I have to hear them out and, and whatnot. And uh, to any of my clients that listen to this, not that I'm not listening. I'm listening to you guys. <laughs> um, but uh, that kind of taught me how sure. to also take that home. You know, and, and and here's the thing is I would see it with my clients where if I had a client that had a really bad day and he's mm. just unloading and unloading and he gets out of my chair and he's in like a way better mood than when mm. he first walked in. And because of situations like that, I started thinking to myself, like, oh, dude, like, you know, going home and being able to apply all that too, sure, like, man, it would just make the, the home front so much better. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't know if you ever realize this, but you get practice day in and day out of i mean that's why you're so good at the podcast right because <laughs> like you do it every day yeah. right you 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 sit here and talk to people every day about their issues yeah. i deal with it at work i talk yeah. to people every day about issues that that they're having with other cops <laughs> those type of things so like we we get exposure yeah. to that stuff you sure. know what i mean and and i think for because of that we get a little more exposure it probably comes a little bit easier oh yeah for, for some sure. and others yeah. um I'm that guy that falls asleep in the chair, so I'm not a good communicator <laughs> <laughs> when I'm at the barber. You're one of those. I'm you're one, one of those. those. Cues like you're a perfect client. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> no, those like, are those ones are awkward because I'm just like, okay, you're trying. But so, how about this weather? Yeah, exactly, right. But yeah, I mean, it it takes time to to just to get that communication down. But just like just like your spouse wants mm-hmm. to be heard, mm-hmm. you know, we we want to be heard too. So it's oh, gotta, it's for sure, be a give and take. For sure, yeah. You know, because like you said, it just makes your day better with if you if you can yeah. just get it off your chest. Yeah. And I think sometimes, you know, and I mean, you could probably test this too, and and you as well. You know, when you talk about an incident that happened at work, you know, whether it's working in the barbershop or whether it's working with uh, as a law enforcement officer, the sheriff's department, and you might just talk about it in in normal conversation. But in reality, you're really getting it off of your chest. Oh, for sure. It might be a normal conversation, yeah. but it, it, it you just feel better when you're talking about it with somebody who just listens. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, it was like like Fred when when we had Fred uh, Kitman on. Um, you know, he was talking about holding on to all these things. It's like going on a march and, and you know collecting mm-hmm. a rock and putting it in your pack. Sure. And and the more the more you go up this hill, the more rocks you collect. Eventually, it's gonna get really heavy right so what better way than to find either home your spouse a good group of friends Mm -hmm. or a therapist or or some sort of therapy where you can drop a rock as you're walking and then get to another point and then drop another rock right as you're walking you know and and i think ultimately it comes down to you know what is what is going to help you unload those rocks from your pack Mm -hmm. you know yeah absolutely important it, it's it, it's it's really crucial with uh with like any kind of relationship but um or you know sometimes 
going over to Jaime's house and just talking shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Helps out. You know what I mean? And, and getting Which getting we've done a lot. Yeah, we've done a <laughs> lot of that. And I think every time we I've ever hang out with Jaime, it's usually... It doesn't, it takes all but maybe two or three minutes for the shit talking to start to start. <laughs> <laughs> so usually when I answer the door, it's the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, you guys are texting, talking shit already. Yeah, yeah probably, but uh, yeah. So that's that's you know that's what yeah. I do. So, uh, you know, having experienced obviously definitely your share of, of tragedy from you know being a Iraqi war veteran to having to leave early to come back to, you know, the death of your brother, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, and going through life, you know, and going through a divorce. Um, another significant in your event in your life that I feel deserves the, the, the credit to talk about, and I'm curious on how has, how it affected you, uh, and or if it still does, um, and I'll give you the floor to talk about it, but uh, your brother was also involved in a mm-hmm. in a tragic incident that's right. uh, actually very well known. Other brother, yes, yeah. Um, who's brother. who's also a police officer? Yes. Um, uh, can you shed some light and kind of talk about that a little bit and how it affected you? Yeah. So, um, well, there were kind of two two different incidents that happened back to back. So, uh, the first one was was my my dad, my old man. He mm-hmm. uh he passed away um a year before my brother was shot. Mm-hmm. Um and I'll get to that. <laughs> so uh so he uh I got a call from my from uh you know Michael was with me, my brother Michael. Mm-hmm. Uh he I got a call from one of my other brothers, Stephen, uh who just frantic calling me saying, Hey, you know, dad's not breathing, whatever. So I pick Michael up, or he comes home from the station because he uh, actually he was working on Terra at the time. Um, he was at work, and he rushed home to my house, which is right down the street. And uh, we took off, got to my mom's house, and I, on the way, by the way, Michael was just sh- he was just super quiet, right? And he's the one that's an Ontario police officer. Um, so he, you know, we're driving, and I remember calling Stephen. He's he's kind of the black sheep of the family, but. Um, and just saying, hey, is he all right? Is he is he breathing? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I was doing CPR. I'm like, oh shit. So uh, we, I said, let me talk to the fire captain. So fire captain gets on, and I said, you do what the fuck you got to do. You 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 bring him back, or you know. And he just said, hey sir, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, uh, we we called it. Mm. So um, well, I'm I'm ha- I'm halfway between. Eastvale and Temecula is pretty much the area that oh they lived gosh. in. Oh, my gosh. And when I, I got that over the phone, so I was like, fuck. So, uh, you know, Michael, he, we both lost it. You know, and I, I never show emotion, but we lost it. I mean, that was my old man. You know, he, yeah. You know, he's, he's, yeah. You know, he, I looked after that guy, you know. Yeah. So um, we got there. And I'll tell you what, one, some, one thing that stuck with me the most, and I'm going to get to Michael's situation, but. One thing that really, to this day, stuck with me the most is walking in that house, going upstairs, and seeing your old man on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, like as if we walk into a scene, mm-hmm. you know, where there's it just a, a call for, uh, you know, a body, you know, or somebody that's, that's uh, d- you know, died of natural causes or fire was on scene and they called it there and you have to stand by for the coroner's office. Seeing your old man on the floor like that, 
I mean, I, I was beyond furious. Yeah. You know, I upset, obviously, but just beyond, I was furious. I'm like, how can they leave him like this? Man was a fucking sheriff's deputy for, God, you know, 30 years, you know. How are they going to fucking leave him here like a piece of meat like that? Mm-hmm. I was pissed. And, um... And I, I lost it when I saw him, man. I just got on. Uh, I just just seeing him like that was was horrible. So uh, RSO was there. They were actually true gentlemen. He stood by the whole time, yeah. and he uh, gave my dad the honors and, and and escorted him to the coroner's office. Um, him and another radio car, lights and sirens the whole way there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, probably not sirens, but first we had the lights on the yeah. way there. Um, but you know, they made sure he got there. And, and and went from there. So, so that was one thing that happened. So not a year. It was maybe a year later. Um, I was working. Um, I was flying patrol at the time. Uh, I was flying to North County. And um, as far as their personal business, I'll say this because I don't think she'd mind me talking about it. So, uh, his wife had called me um, because they had a disagreement the day before. They were at the Route 91 festival. So uh, the first day they were there, she called me like, you know, you know, Michael's being this and that. You know, Michael's just being Michael. He's kind of quiet. He's like, he just he has his way of dealing with things. Like, oh, I'm just going to leave. So he took <laughs> off, whatever. So I call him like, hey, dumbass, you know, <laughs> get back over there and just yeah. go get your wife, you know. So, all right. So he ends up going over there. All is good, right? Okay. So fast forward to the next day, October 1st. Um which is just three days ago. Yeah. Um, I'm flying Air 29, uh, North County ship. I had just landed. It was uh, it was nighttime. I just landed to take a butt break, right? Uh, your butt hurts sitting in that thing all day. And um, I get a phone call from from uh, his wife, my brother's wife, uh, Summer is her name. And helicopters running, yeah. right? It's hard to hear, you know. And I pick up my phone, and I'm going, oh, this motherfucker. <laughs> He's there arguing again. Because the only reason why she'd call me is if they're arguing, because yeah. she'd call me the first thing. So I debated whether I'd answer the phone. So I'm like, all right, I'll answer the phone. So I stuff it in my helmet, and as I stuff the phone in my helmet, all I hear is screaming. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, are they arguing? And then all she said was, Rob, there's a terrorist attack. Michael is shot. Is all is what she tells me. I said, "What? They're shooting. There's a terrorist attack. Michael is shot, and I can hear automatic gunfire in the background." And I said, "Where is he at? Are you okay? G- get down. You know what? Where are you at? I don't know. He's shot. We got separated." I said, "I'm, I'm just trying to get information at this point. All I hear is automatic gunfire in the background, and my brother's shot. He's down somewhere." So I was like, holy shit. And so I'm telling her, get cover, get some place where you can hide behind. Um, that's, you know, that not, not a bush, something hard so that, that a, you know, you can get behind. Just yeah. get to cover. I got to go. What? And she hung up, right? So I'm like, fuck. And then she calls back. I, I can't find him. I don't know where he's at. I said, Summer, where is he shot at? Where? Where on the body is yeah. he shot? He got shot in the head. Mm. So I'm thinking he's he's dead. Yeah. I I don't 
I don't I don't know. Like he's 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 <laughs> so. So I have my first brother. Mm-hmm. I've got my dad, and now I got my sec my third. You know my my other brother now shot in the head. I don't know what the hell's going on. So other than a terrorist attack, so I I. I mean, I, I was actually going to fly directly to um, Las Vegas, and I picked up the helicopter, and I had pulled about as much power as you can get at that thing to the point where it was dangerous. And I told myself, and my partner, he's like, Rob, just, and he was he's in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. um, my partner at the time, I said, hey, he's like, dude, just let's go back to Burbank, put the helicopter down, get home. So... You know, because I wasn't thinking, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, uh, uh, just reacting, if you will, because yeah. I want to get there. I'm like, I got to get the fuck there now. Um, so I boogie back to Burbank. Uh, I was in Santa Clarita at the time and land. I mean, I couldn't get the damn thing on the ground fast enough. And kind of a long story short, I did about 130 miles per hour home in my personal car, not giving a shit. If I was going to get stopped by CHP because they were going to have a chase on their hands because um, <laughs> I wasn't stopping. Um, but I first thing I did was I called my captain. I said, hey, Cap, uh, this is what's going on. I'm you know, a little more frantic than that. But uh, I woke him up. This was like at, uh, I forgot what time it was. It was like 11, 12 at night, something like that. I can't remember the time. But um, I said, my brother's been shot. I have no further details. He's an Ontario police officer. Um, I need a plane right now to take me to Vegas. Can you get Rick Magdaleno? And I think I forgot who the pilot was at the time. Can you get him on the horn and get him to Long Beach? I need to get that plane ASAP. And he's like, uh, I said, all I heard was there's a terrorist attack in Vegas. I don't know what's going on, but I heard gunfire in the background. Yeah. He's like, I was like, you'll probably hear it on the news. So I got a phone call back in like 20 minutes. And he's like, Rob, it's on the news. There was an active shooter in Vegas. I've got Ricky Magdaleno, my other pilot, rolling in. Where can we get you? So I said, I'm going home. At the time, I was picking up my, my ex-wife. And uh, I said, I need a ride there because I had to make arrangements with my son. And you know he was younger at the time. So while I'm en route, Ontario was rolling over there to my pad and um, RSO. So they're, they're knocking on my door because my... My ex at the time wasn't answering the phone, so she, she's opening the door to a bunch of cops. <laughs> They're like, she's thinking like, "What the hell happened?" Yeah, yeah. Happened to you. yeah. So, um, like, did he crash? <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. So, um, got there, and then um, so they rolled. They ended up rolling me. The fastest way was to get there via helicopter. So Ontario rolls me to cable. They take me in their helicopter because they were actually going to fly me to Vegas and that, but there there was weather, yeah. so they couldn't get through. So. They shot me uh, straight over to Long Beach. I, I was on the ground within an hour and a half, Holy roughly, crap. Uh, from the time the shots were fired and the shooter was down till uh, we were on the ground. So when we got there, uh, we actually uh, landed in front of the MGM, pretty much. That's where the, the FOB was. That were not the fo- uh, it's, uh, it's a place where they, they land airplanes. And yeah. there was people dirty in there. Um, they had jumped the fence on the airport grounds and were taking cover inside the building where we landed. Um, so I didn't hear, again, a long flight from hell. Um, it was only about a 45-minute flight. The entire way, I still don't know the status of my brother. So mm-hmm. as we're on final approach, I turned my phone on and I got a text from Summer saying, hey, we found him. 
he's at Sunrise Hospital. And I said, is he okay? And they said, he's going into surgery. I'm like, how is this possible? He's alive. Okay, he's alive. I know yeah. that. So, like, w- whatever stress was on my shoulders got relieved somewhat. Yeah. But I knew being a headshot, he wasn't out of the woods. Right. So um, we we were able to get to Sunrise. So once we landed, we, knew we, had, we had a place to go. So, because I was going to go search the grounds. I'm looking for a body at that point. Right. You know, then uh, there were, I mean, I'm in uniforms. There wasn't nothing that was going to stop me. So uh, we get to Sunrise and uh, confirm that he is, in fact, there. He was in surgery. Um, and kind of a long story short, he, uh, he took a 223 to the side of his head, his left parietal. And it, it basically dropped him. And, um, you know, all the while he was, you know, he was helping, you know, while the shots were being fired, he was trying to get people to move. And uh, he, t- he took around. Had, had that, his head been turned one way or the other, uh, he, he would have been, he would have been gone. So. Um, so he's with us. He's with us. Yeah. To this day. And he's working. <laughs> yeah, he's working. Uh, you know, so he, he's a, he's a stud. I mean, the guy, he's a lot more in shape than I am. <laughs> but, uh. Um, that's yeah. not that's not saying much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, Ralph. Just kidding. <laughs> I love you, bro. Dang, took a two two three to the head. He took a two two three to the head and survived. Wow. Well, yeah. And and when I, when I saw him, I'll be honest with you, I revisited the whole thing with my first brother, seeing him on the ventilators. Oh my seeing gosh. it was like, it was like Josh 2.0. <laughs> so, um, by the way, my I named my son after my brother. So That's I want awesome. his name to live on so I can yeah. hear it every That's day. Awesome. So, um, but, uh, but seeing him like that was like, Oh yeah. Flashbacks. It was I'm just, sure. yeah, it just went right back to it. But I went that the difference between that one and this one is I went to a completely different mode, right? I'm like, I'm not leaving you. I'm here. What do you need? Yeah. And I handled everything became him first mm-hmm. yeah not me and i i didn't sleep for like literally three days eat nothing and i stayed by his side the entire time and until he woke up came out of it first thing we did was flip each other off <laughs> and <laughs> you know and uh then i knew that i had my brother back wow but it wasn't all it wasn't all apples and oranges it was right he he couldn't talk. So the left parietal portion of the brain controls your speech. Yeah. So he, you know, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't say anything other than, yeah. So I took advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> In true brotherly fashion. True, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I think, again, that's just kind of the military to us. Like, we try to take those kind of situations and, and make fun of it, you know. Yeah. And it's not camera. I mean, every qu- every, every question that I can ask him. That would make him look stupid. It was always a yeah, and it was. It, it got to a point where he's like, "I'm not saying any because all I can say is yeah." yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he wow. had to go through spe- speech therapy, and mm. and you know, he's he's got. Uh, after that, he had another daughter, um, and they're working on a. Uh, they're working on a third. Wow. So, his so pecker all still all works. Yeah, I was gonna say all the important parts yeah. still work. Yeah. Then yeah, his pecker still works. Apparently, that's the right side of the. Yeah, yeah. and he's still uh, smashing away at Ontario PD, huh? Yep, he's still working no over there. No freaking way, well, dude. Well, he's not he's not working patrol. Mm-hmm. Um he's working back in DB right now. Okay. Um he deals all cuz 
he has a speech thing going yeah. on still. So, um, but he's still he's he's working back in, in DB, and you know he's had his his share of um, you know dealing with certain things. Yeah, and I think for for me it was uh, especially with his wife too. You know, we, we had kind of bumped heads a little bit because it's like. I kind of had to revisit my whole, you know, like understanding of, okay, they just went through a traumatic experience, you know, and and me, I'm just, you know, I had already gone through, uh, you know, ways of of dealing with it my way and not realizing or taking into consideration of how they might be dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So that helped me grow more into trying to build on that piece of humble pie, if you will, Mm -hmm. to be able to deal with, okay, everybody handles things differently. And and that kind of wraps it right back around to our first conversation of, um, of of how did I get to where I'm at now? And, and and dealing with all these different things that, that I've had to, (laughs) I've had to deal with, um, you know, is, is, uh, is kind of brought me to where I am today. So, um, but, you know, the best thing is, is I just try to stay positive about everything. You know, same thing with my dad. My dad died right before I started flight school. Mm. I still have mm. his voicemails right now in my phone wow. that of him congratulating me for passing my flight test. Mm. But wow. he never he never got to, he probably the most proud motherfucker out there. He never got to see me doing it. Well, I mean, he sees me, but right. Yeah. But um when I was in flight training, that I had used that, and I didn't really talk about it too much to anybody. But that was one of the things I used to get through flight. I mean, did they? Because they asked me, "Do you want to start this now? Because are you? Can you do it?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." Yeah. And every day, every single day, on the way to flight training, I played his voicemail over and over and over again wow. on the way to work. Wow. That sustained you. So yeah. I took that into a positive to get through mm. the flight train. It wasn't easy. Believe me, it wasn't easy. So, um, so you know, when I did pass and I became a pilot, I was probably one, I think one time I did actually by myself sit in my room and just tear up and cry mm-hmm. like a big baby, you know, but it was, it was more of like, like happiness. If that right. Makes, oh yeah. If that makes sure. sense. It makes yeah. perfect sense. It yeah. yeah. It's perfect. Sense. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I kind of bounced around a little bit, I know, but 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 yeah. So uh, that's kind of what that whole situation with Michael. But yeah, he's doing great, um, and uh, yeah, he's he's uh, he's still he's still over there doing his thing. Yeah. So uh, sure, I think uh, he deserves a, a cheers, huh? So yeah, uh, hey, cheers. raise our glasses to <laughs> Michael Grosso. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, wow. yeah, he's he's doing great. So he's he's still working on that third one. So, um, but he has two beautiful girls. Yeah, Abby and Abby and Beta. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey man, you know that's uh, definitely have a diverse background. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, and you know at least from from my end, um, not a lot of people could turn uh, tragedies into something positive. Yeah. And so I think you brought in you know you brought a lot of great insight into you know hopefully those listening that you know they could try to try to process tragedies in that that same way yeah um but you know with that you know i truly truly thank you for for coming on yeah sharing your stories 
and uh, you know, giving us a little insight into your life and, and how you process everything, though. Yeah, I mean, if anything, anything your listeners can take away from it is is just, you know, every everybody processes differently, but try to dig in yourself to to take a tragedy, take whatever demons you might be dealing with, and and make it into a positive, mm-hmm. you know. Because I promise you, you're gonna feel better about yourself. You know, oh if yeah. You put if you put other people before yourself, you are going to be a better person. Oh yeah. Guarantee you that. It's not easy. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes work at it. Work at yourself. But eventually, you know, good will prevail all yeah. the time. Love it, Hyman. Yeah, man, Rob. We've had a we've had a long history. Um, you and I, we've known each other for a long time. We like. You know, we grew up as cops together, like we grew up as friends, um, you know, a lot of shit talking Oh yeah, uh, between Rob and myself. Um, <laughs> a lot of drinking. A lot of drinking. <laughs> uh, before Rob had braces, we used to call him Rock Muncher because Ooh, <laughs> yes. he had these really fucked up. So we call him Rock Muncher. Or the Actually, chin. we still call him that today. <laughs> like as a joke, his teeth are straight now because of the braces. We used to call him Rock Muncher. Like, hey, Rock Muncher. <laughs> wow. Or the chi- or the chin, or Jay the Leno, chin. The chin. you know, Buzz Lightyear. Oh. I like work, the Buzz Lightyear one. At work, they call me Buzz Lightyear. You know, they had, <laughs> I've got Buzz Lightyear pictures everywhere. And uh, you know, I don't think you know we've had good conversations through the years, but I don't think we ever had like sat down and had like a serious conversation about you know our PTSD and and just life in general, man. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful that you came on uh, yeah. because you shared a lot of good stuff, and that's why I wanted to have you on. You, you know, you've been through a lot of tragedies. And to me, uh, I'm grateful to see that you have taken all these traumatic events mm-hmm. from two of your brothers to your father to your divorce to combat. And, you know, in a sense, you've almost found something that a lot of people are still looking for, right? They're still searching for. Like, you managed to turn these, these, in, these events in your life inside out, right? And find, sure. and find, the, find the positive in it. In, to me, the takeaway today from you is two things. One, be humble, and two, to always look at the good in things, mm-hmm. right? Because I think even in shitty situations, if you look hard enough mm-hmm. and if you want to find the good in it, sure, you're going to find the good in it, right? Because we could take any situation. You could take any situation, and if you want to find the bad in it, guess what? You're going to find, gonna it. find it. You're going to mm-hmm. find it. You're going to find it. Absolutely. But flip that coin, right? Yeah. And you want to find the good in it, you can find the good in it. So, um, you know, that's going to be my takeaway uh, from this, Robin. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to see that you have a good career. Um, you know, you have a good life. Yeah. Um, you. And, and, you know, you're you're really excelling, man. And I'm grateful to, to be your friend. Um, you know, hopefully we have another 25 years you yeah. know, to go. And <laughs> You know, we'll be retired. I think you're a couple years ahead of me, so we'll be retiring around the same time. And yeah, yeah. I just uh, s- got to stay in the air and not gonna. We w- we've already dealt with the crash. So yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we we haven't talked in a long time. Actually, the last time we talked, you asked me for a lighter to light a cigar. Right. Yeah. He like this is the fr- I haven't heard from Robin in a long time. He calls me. He's like, Hey, do you have a lighter? I'm like, What are you What are you smoking? He's like, I'm smoking he, a cigar. He met my girlfriend's dad like, before he met my girlfriend. He's, he's, he he he, <laughs> d- he drove up to my house. I came out. I gave him a lighter. He's like, I'll bring this back tomorrow. He never gave me my lighter back. <laughs> Oh, did I forget? So, <laughs> you, <laughs> I guess I still have so it. you owe me a lighter for a stop, all right? 
But <laughs> to, to my defense, though, I was looking for the lighter because I bought a new smoker for my whiskey. That's what it was. That's go. what I was looking for. That's, that's why go. I went to his house. And I, I just bought it. I'm like, I want to use this tonight. So that's why I went to his house. I had to get that whiskey going. Yeah, so. yeah that's funny. But, uh, but all jokes aside, Rob Banks, man, yeah. you're, uh, you know, you're definitely an inspiration to a lot of people. And uh, we appreciate everything that you do and that, that you've done and everything that you're, oh, that you're you. still doing for the sheriff's department and for, for, for your life. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and one thing I'll add to all that stuff, and and all all that stuff you touch on is, but the biggest thing too is have a goal, have yeah. a goal. Uh, you know, find the good in everything, be humble. But you know, when you're trying to deal with your things, just have a goal to get to where you want to be, mm-hmm. um, and, and and go. Yeah. You know, and then the rest will come along the way. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, hey, one Amen. more time. Cheers, Rob. Cheers. Thank you for Cheers. coming on. Appreciate Cheers, you boys. guys. Appreciate you boys. Whiskey and War Stories. Out.